So I watched a movie yesterday that made me kind of think we missed a candidate in our most interesting tournament for world history. And it was someone who even was mentioned on an episode, and I don't think we even considered him. It's Pancho Villa. Oh, did we talked about him, didn't we? In well, the I'm, but I'm saying not in the most interesting tournament. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. Because we did talk about him in the, what was the Marlon Brando movie? Uh, Viva, Viva Zapata or whatever. That's the one. Because yep. uh, Brando plays uh, Zapata, who was a contemporary of Pancho Villa. And Villa may have had a cameo in that movie, or maybe it was just talked about. So we at least brought him up. So I finally watched, so I'm, I'm always looking for those old Best Picture nominees. I finally, this one I just found it on YouTube. It was kind of probably a not legal version had Portuguese subtitles. Nice. It's called uh, Viva Via about Pancho Villa from 1934. And at least the version of him we get in the movie was a very interesting guy. So they kind of sell him as this braggadocious, but also simple-minded guy who can't read outlaw bandit type, who then gets convinced to become the freedom fighter and help get this guy into the presidency and then is later expelled. He's also kind of a womanizer in the sense that he just kind of marries whatever woman is nearby. And if he moves on to a different area, he just marries another woman and just kind of doesn't care that he's married to like eight different women. And just, <laughs> and, you know, as like I said, raids into the U.S. And, and the guy that he helped get to the presidency ends up assassinated. And then he comes back out of retirement to rally the troops. Like, it's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Anyway, just maybe a guy we would have missed. Probably not a movie we need to do a full episode on because I mean you don't necessarily need to to watch this movie on YouTube if that even counts as le- a legit streaming option. But uh, it was no, it was actually <laughs> it was actually kind of solid. They made him kind of stupid, but also admirable a little bit at the same time. It was it was an interesting character. It was an interesting character that I think maybe we missed. Well, if you remember, they kind of do the same thing with Zapata and Viva Zapata. True, there's that, true. There's that line, and I actually. I took a video of it because sometimes I'll use it as a meme where it's him sitting with that girl. He goes, I can't read. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I'm trying to think who this guy reminded me of. Like, it's basically like the buddy who you're not sure if he's going to kill you in your sleep, kind of, even though he's your friend. Like, he's almost Mm. like that kind of like intimidating of a guy. Oh, Tony Soprano. He's almost like a Tony Soprano Uh, type. Oh, okay. but, But dumb. And it's right. Okay, uh, it's it, it, it was interesting, interesting guy. Okay, so I'm very excited to talk about the prestige today. This one's a little bit of maybe a stretch, you could argue, to include on an American history podcast. It is a fictional story set mostly in London, but <laughs> uh, Colorado does play extensively in in the film, and we're going to talk about Nikola Tesla, who again not American, but does have a role to play in American history. And I'm going to talk about electricity here for a bit. And we're going to kind of use this as an excuse to get into Christopher Nolan movies. And in our defense, even though there have been multiple movies where Nikola Tesla shows up, this is the highest rated one. Yes. Out of all of them. Yes, this is, this is the best choice. And we didn't want to just do a Nikola Tesla documentary. Right. You know, because we try to, we try to go more towards the narrative films here. But yeah, so there was like, there was a Tesla movie that came out in 2020. Is that Benedict Cumberbatch? No, 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 no. That was, uh, well, okay, so there is a Benedict Cumberbatch one. He doesn't play Tesla. Nicholas Holt plays Tesla in that one. And that one's actually called The Current War, which is, I guess, pretty historically accurate, but is not a great movie. At least it didn't get very good reviews. I've never seen it. Okay. But then there's the the Tesla movie that came out had, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on the guy? Who, who's the, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke is Tesla. But th- again, that one didn't get great reviews. So we just use the fact that this is like... A good you know, movie, yeah. It's a good movie, right. It has Nikola Tesla in it technically, even though he has maybe five minutes of screen time. And by the way, just a really cool cameo from David Bowie playing Nikola Tesla. Yes. And it's got to be one of his last roles too, right? What year did Bowie die? I mean, it wasn't like right after this, but I don't know how much I don't know how much acting he did after this. I mean, it was a while after, but this is—I would be hard pressed to think of a role for David Bowie that was after this one. But let me let me look real fast because I think I think you're right. So he died ten years after this, right? He has five credits after The Prestige, two are voiceovers, and well, in one movie he plays himself. So it looks like oh, and then one is Twin Peaks. It looks like really just. 
a movie called August from 2008 was like his only role after only real significant role after the prestige. That's a Josh Hartnett movie, which, uh, yeah, never, never seen, which brings us back to Oppenheimer and Christopher Nolan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So the, it's, it's got an interesting rotten tomato split here too. the prestige does. So it's only a 76 on the critic side and then 92 audience side, which I think is way low. It's not, it's not great. Great. Unless you could, you can maybe argue having, and not to get too spoilery here, although it is over 15 years old, but like the kind of double twist at the end where it's almost like both storylines have their own twist and that maybe that's a little too, quote, hokey for some critics. I think it works fine, though. I think the movie kind of does handle it well to where it's not like too eye-rolly, but maybe 24% of critics thought it was eye-rolly and just kind of said, no thanks. Is, is it that simple? Yeah, I don't know. Because I, I don't know what else you would have a problem with. I was going to say that like maybe... Maybe that's the explanation for why, but I like wholeheartedly disagree with that. Like, I think it's this is some of like the tightest screenwriting ever. And like the way that the, like there's so many there's so many nuggets that they give you like that all tie up at the end perfectly. Like, I, I just I loved the the writing in this movie so much. What's funny is with with the twists though too, and again, not we don't need to name them, but uh, this is only the second time that I'd seen this movie because I'm not the big rewatcher. So I had even like I had a general idea oh. of what happened, but had forgotten a couple key aspects. So I was even still surprised, mm. even though I had seen it before. Less surprised than the first time around. Yeah, I, I guess the other one I have an issue with. There are some things you could argue are too convenient. So. Again, I'm going to kind of dance around it so that only people who have seen it will, will know, or if you want to skip ahead. Well, we could also just say spoiler warning. Well, fair, and that's fair. It's hard to talk about how good this movie is without talking about the twists and okay. without spoiling stuff. Yeah, go go watch The Prestige and come back. Uh, so, <laughs> with the Hugh Jackman characters, the great Danton, so his whole thing with trying to wrongly get Christian Bale's character convicted of his murder was predicated upon Christian Bale running backstage at that exact moment. How did he know he was going to do that? I don't know. Exactly. So, no, no, actually, <laughs> so this, actually, this actually brings up a larger note. So I am a big Christopher Nolan fan. We're going to talk about, we're going to rank all his movies at the end of this episode. Rewatching, I rewatched nine of the 12 just in the last month, and I had seen the other three within the last year or two and didn't rewatch those, but... Plot holes are riddled throughout his films. He is a great showman. He is a great technical executor as far as giving you something that is a spectacle that is a blast to watch. His films are riddled with plot holes throughout. Well, yeah, and it's it's almost like it's almost like a magician where he uses like sleight of hand, visual sleight of hand, plot sleight of hand, editing sleight of hand to cover a lot of that stuff up. Where and a lot of that stuff you don't even. You don't even catch until maybe your right. third, fourth viewing. Right. So, so again, I still thoroughly enjoy The Prestige. But yeah, I mean, those things are a little little uh, explanation for the the lower critic rating. The, the, the one that stands out in my mind the most is in The Dark Knight Rises, where there's the motorcycle chase. And it's like broad daylight, middle of the day when they go into the tunnel. Yeah. And like... Oh, all of a sudden it's nighttime. 90 seconds later, they come out and it's nighttime. Right. And it's like, but I had probably seen that movie three or four times before I ever had that brought to my attention. I was like, oh, yeah, that is weird. Why did why did that happen? That's so strange. But when you're watching it, you know, it, it makes it, it just goes so smoothly that you don't even realize that it's like a massive plot hole that they, in 90 seconds, they somehow fast forwarded through like seven hours of the day. Right. And we're not going to do a deep dive of Oppenheimer because I'm going to we're going to do an episode on it when we get when it comes up yeah, organically in the timeline when we get to World War Two. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about it in detail then. But I kind of saw it happening like live. And I was just like, wait a second. He's building this moment up. And I'm not talking about the explosion. I'm talking about another point. He's building this moment mm-hmm. up like this is some big reveal or some secondary climax here. This is meaningless. He's just swelling the music and tricking us right now. Like, I basically saw in the theater that, that I was being mm. played. Anyway, so I have a problem with the last third of Oppenheimer, other, although it's still solid and really, really good. Okay, so the prestige itself, we really don't need to talk about 
the details of the plot. It is about two rival musician <laughs> musicians magicians <laughs> in uh in the 1890s in London. One played by Hugh Jackman, the other played by Christian Bale, with Michael Caine as kind of like their mentor uh, yeah. of sorts uh, to kind of both parties before they kind of have this break between the two as rivals for an audience and just you know basically they're just uh, I was going to say political rivals, but it's not political entertainment rivals. I, anyway. Uh, rivals within the same industry and professional rivals. That's the word I was looking for. Yes, <laughs> professional rivalry. <laughs> I couldn't think of <laughs> what's their jobbiness, <laughs> <laughs> their job similitude. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are professional rivals, 1890s. And yeah, it really is just about their right. It is just really about this rivalry it's, it's like you know it could always be with a few tweaks become a comedy with these two kind of going after each other back and forth um but there's yeah. so much tragedy infused with it and, and and the the grit that we get from christopher nolan definitely more of a drama thriller anyway the historical stuff that comes up is when hugh jackman's character goes to colorado springs to visit nikola tesla because Christian Bale's character hinted that one of his tricks he got from Nikola Tesla. And so the Tesla and Colorado Springs angle is what we're going to be talking about. But beyond that, is really anything else to the plot of the movie that needs to be brought up? Not really. Just that... Uh, right, okay. I, I would just watch, just... watch the movie. It's a lot of fun. I was going to say, take this opportunity to just throw another highly recommend go watch right, Prestige. Right. Even if you've already seen it before, go back and watch it again. Well, true. Because right. it's... I mean, it's just as fun on rewatches trying to find all of the foreshadowy moments and the the little nuggets of hints of information that that Nolan drops throughout the movie to show what the twists twists plural are going to be at the end. Right, he's good at setting stuff up. Yeah, and then, and the last thing I'll mention: the movie did get two Oscar nominations, one for cinematography, one for art slash set decoration. No no wins or anything. How did this not get? A screenplay nomination. I think this is early enough in the Nolan verse that maybe he wasn't that that he wasn't Oscar level respect yet, and mm. we can kind of get into that when we do some of the breakdown. If you look at the chronology. This is right after Batman Begins. I was going to say he he wasn't he wasn't Christopher Nolan yet. Right. I mean, he was like people knew he was good because you know Memento was fairly right. well known because this is between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Correct. So he was he was still an up and comer. Dark Knight is what solidified him as an A lister. He was still yeah. an up and comer when the Prestige comes out. So even getting these mm. two nominations might have even been kind of a oh wow that's cool. Versus then Dark Knight is shoot Dark Knight is so successful that's the reason they increased the number of Best Picture nominees because people were up in arms that the Dark Knight didn't get a Best Picture nomination because there's only five right. a year and they changed the rules because of Christopher Nolan and the Dark Knight. So. First, first thing I wanted to talk about is electricity. <laughs> so we've talked about we talked about Thomas Edison. We've mentioned the current wars, but I wanted to talk about electricity itself because I, well, I probably still don't, but I basically didn't understand electricity at all, and I was like, I want to at least understand what's happening from, especially from when electricity was new and the idea that. Like, obviously, electricity existed before we could harness it for all our stuff. And so mm -hmm. I was basically just like, how? I don't even understand what it is. Like, what? what is it? Like, people talk about flows and currents. And and I, so I was doing, like, you know, the, the YouTube dive to try to, like, figure out what is electricity. I even had to end up on a, like, a three-minute video for kids to explain what electricity is in a way that I could start understanding it. And then I kind of graduated up one level above that. So I'm going to give a rundown of electricity here that actually I think finally made sense to me. And so I don't know what your level of understanding with electricity is. Uh, but so this is maybe for the for the listener like me who is just like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> so and obviously it does deal with stuff at the subatomic level, which is why it is kind of, you know, hard to understand. And I think even I was like, when people talk about a flow of current, like, I think my thought was like, what is flowing? I don't understand if if if, if it's if it, is it something or is it nothing? And if it's something, that's mass. And if mass is moving, where is that mass collected? So I, that, that, I think that was made the sticking point for me. So mm -hmm. it it really is. It's just the electrons on atoms moving. So we kind of already know that you you have an atom with a nucleus uh, that contains uh, protons and neutrons, and then bouncing around the outside of the atom are the electrons. And it's not the number of electrons that makes an atom 
the type of atom that it is. And the number of electrons is actually can be in flux. And this is where you get into ions, where you have like an atom that's positively charged or negatively charged. So Mm -hmm. if you can kind of trigger those electrons to bounce along from one atom to the next down a line, that flow of electrons, that is electricity. And I think that was the big eye-opening moment for me just like two days ago when I was researching this that maybe I didn't fully understand before. So the flow of electricity is the flow of electrons along atoms. And then even that, you're like, well, what atoms? Well, conductive ones as opposed to ones that are not conductive. So why is copper used? Because copper atoms have basically in their outer electron field this one little electron that is very easily that very easily comes and goes. So yeah. So basically, what is moving? It's the copper wiring because the copper copper wire is made of guess what? Copper atoms, <laughs> and so right. electrons will just bounce along the line of copper atoms. So when I mean, you have an insulator around it where the electrons cannot basically go into that insulator material just because it's less reactive and it's less likely to absorb those electrons. So then the next question becomes, why flow? Why not stay put? And that I think you, you can understand if you think about static electricity. So when we're, say, when you're, you're walking around in like that, you know, the shag carpet, you wash your, or you shuffle your feet on the floor, and then you touch something metal, and you get a shock. So what's happening there is, as you're rubbing your feet on the carpet, technically the carpet is an insulator. But you're still able to basically kind of like, and I don't get this part exactly, I guess, slough off those electrons. And again, you usually can't do it with your shoes on because your shoes are rubber. So it's going to be a hard time having those electrons uh, insulator on insulator. Anyway, you get the electrons that basically leave your body and just kind of flow into the carpet. So you're losing, a ne- you're losing negatively charged electrons, creating a positive net charge in your body. When you then touch something metal, the reason you are shocked is twofold. One... You're touching a high conductive material, a metal, similar to like a copper, and it is neutrally charged. So when you are now positively charged and you come in contact with that neutral charge, the electrons there want to balance out and they jump from the metal object because it's conductive and it easily takes and leaves electrons and they jump to you to balance out the charge and that pop is electricity. So as far as bringing that to like back to our copper wire... If you can set up intentionally an area of negative charge and an area of positive charge, you will basically force that flow. And the whole idea of a battery, and I, you know, I didn't get all this stuff until like yesterday when I'm watching a YouTube video. <laughs> so a, a battery having a positive and a negative end, the negative end is spitting out electrons and the positive end is attracting them back. And that's creating a loop, a movement, a flow of electricity, of electric current. And yeah, that's that's kind of the whole game right right there, right? Did you kind of already know all this? I guess I really didn't. I mean, ca- kind of. Okay. okay. Like the, the basics. And then also that's why that whole flow between positive and negative, that's why you can use magnets to generate electricity. Well, and that gets in the world, they're all actually, this, they're technically kind of the whole same thing. And then like right. electromagnetism is the same force. That's the, just, right. Yeah. The name, the name of the force is electromagnetism. Like that's. Right. And those are things yeah. that weren't uh, understood easily. I mean, uh, the rubbing your hair on a rubber balloon is a similar kind of thing to the carpet example, because a r- rubber is not a conductor, but you're basically sloughing off those electrons to the balloon and it just kind of sits there without, mm-hmm. and so it does make you positively charged then again. Oh, so little things. It's like that's why our power plugs have at least those two prongs. Right. One's for bringing in electrons, one's for putting them back out. So it's all about a flow of electricity. And then, like a fuse, we always be like, oh, dang, I blew a fuse. It's like, well, no, the fuse is designed to break. So basically, if the process happens too fast, basically that flow of electrons, if it speeds up too fast, the system can overheat and become dangerous. So that's right. why you talk about resistance is to slow down a flow. And then a fuse is basically a fail safe. If a circuit or that flow of electricity gets too hot or too volatile, the fuse breaks the circuit to shut the whole right. system down so that yeah. you don't have a fire. Same thing with like with a, a circuit. It, well, it's it's in the name, a circuit breaker, like in your breaker box in your house. Right. It's the right. Same, same thing. Right. There's that loop and you're disconnecting it. Right. It'll it'll break and it'll shoot that switch to the side oh right because then that's more than that you can just flip back versus a fuse having to be replaced yeah it's the same the same thing 
Huh. And yeah, and then a light switch, obviously all you're doing is connecting and completing a circuit. When you turn a light switch off, you're interrupting that circuit so that the, elect- the electrons don't flow. Anyway, right. stuff that I didn't know. Uh, and then this is what people were understanding kind of in, as you get into the 19th century is when we really kind of went from understanding that it was this thing that existed in this phenomenon we weren't really sure what to do with into the whole country and world starts to realize, oh, we can harness electricity. The big one, for, I thought, the name that doesn't come up in any of these films is uh, was Faraday in the sense that he's the guy that actually first started making motors, electric motors. Yeah. That then all of a sudden, once you can use electricity to power a motor, oh, now we can have all these household appliances because they're all running off of some sort of electric motor. So, and we obviously we talked about Edison with the lights and, and all those kinds of things. So yeah, electricity was a game changer. Right. You can kind of see why it took a while for people to understand, to be able to, to use, and, hide, and how do you then generate these. But everything is all about generating electron flow because electron flow is electricity. And I learned that yesterday. Yes. So with that in mind, why don't you tell us about Nikola Tesla? All right. So Tesla, he was born in 1856, uh, July 10th to be exact. Uh, Legend has it that he was actually born during a massive lightning storm. Oh, nice. Which I don't know how accurate that actually is, but it's a cool story. I like it. He was born in a town, I'm probably pronouncing wrong, called Smiljan. And that is... Now, at the time, that was the Austrian Empire, which it's now part of Croatia. But it was actually, uh, and this is a little minor historical interesting thing, that town was in, they called it like the military buffer, oh, the not the buffer, military frontier, which was basically like a rural, empty kind of no man's land between the Habsburgs and the Austrian Empire to like avoid each of them invading mm. each other they like left this kind of strip between them in modern day croatia but anyways that's the town where where tess was born that's that was in that little area makes me think of wallachia back in the day with vlad the impaler being kind of the buffer yeah. between the Austrians and uh turks yeah yeah so his father was an orthodox priest um and his mother had no formal education but she was also an inventor so she would make little like machines and gadgets to help her do stuff around the house and also had like a really a really strong, like incredible memory where she could memorize these like long stories and poems and stuff and hmm. Tesla actually credited his own memory and creativity to like the not only the genes being passed down to him by his mom but also like being around her right, when he right. was a child he said you know helped his own memory and creativity grow and thrive he was fascinated by electricity during a science class in primary school and basically from that point on, you know, entirely devoted his life to learning how to use it. It's kind of interesting. We'll see this more as we talk about his life. But unlike Edison, who basically saw all of these things as ways to make money, Tesla saw all these new advancements as ways to make further advancements. I mean, he that's kind of the reason why he died destitute and in poverty is because he was just did not care at all about the business side the financial side he only like the thing that drove him was just innovation and invention uh, for its own sake right right so as a teenager tesla almost died uh from cholera he was bedridden for nine months the severity of that cholera actually made him a germaphobe for the rest of his life Mm. so he was like severely you know basically terrified of getting sick again or at least getting sick that bad to where actually when he met thomas edison like one of the things that he talked about was how dirty he was how he like didn't care that much for his own personal hygiene because like tesla he, he was a hard worker but he was always very, very clean, and Edison, I guess, was was not that way, at least according to Tesla. When he entered his later teenage years, he was scheduled to be drafted, but he ended up draft dodging for a little while. He kind of went into the mountains and just kind of waited it out. After his draft dodging, he went to university in Austria. Uh, his first year, he got the highest grades possible and was completely obsessed with school, sleeping only four hours a night and not taking any weekends or holidays off that entire first year. His second year, though, 
that obviously is not sustainable. <laughs> so his second year, he got addicted to gambling, ended up gambling away all his tuition money, and then failed his finals. Uh-huh. And instead of basically facing his family after failing his second year of school, he just kind of ran away. His father ends up finding them, though. They convince him to come back home, and he teaches for a year in his hometown and then tries to go to university in Prague, but fails to gain admission. So then he starts working for a few different telegraph and utility companies as a, uh, as an engineer, one of which is the Continental Edison Company, which at the time had an operation in Paris that he was working for. And then that's how he gets to the United States is he gets an opportunity in 1884 through the company, the Edison Company he's working for to go to the United States and work directly for Thomas Edison. Nice. Okay. So he meets Thomas Edison in 1884. They're both obviously highly dedicated to their work, but they also have their differences. I told that story last time about the $50,000 that he was promised. Yes. After doing more research for this one, that story may or may not be true or may have been embellished by one or both sides. No one actually knows exactly why Tesla stopped working for Edison. That could have been a reason. Another reason was because of the fact that they disagreed so much over AC or DC, which one was better. And so Tesla ends up leaving uh, Edison's company to start his own company to work exclusively with AC power because he didn't want to work with DC anymore. He saw AC as the future, which it was, and wanted to work in that. So he left the Edison company, but didn't have any money to start his own company. So he had to literally dig ditches for a while while Hmm. finding investors. And he was making like $2 a day. And he got really depressed when he was doing that. Uh, There was a quote that I saw where he talked about how during that time, he felt like his entire education was a waste because he spent all that time learning about engineering and math and and literature. And it's, it's just like, what good is that doing him when he has to dig ditches for $2 a day? But he does finally in 1886 found his own company, and it was funded by another one of Edison's rivals, George Westinghouse. And this is kind of where the current wars begins. So Edison wanted to keep AC or alternating current from gaining popularity. Actually, before I go into this, I should explain a little bit. Alternating current versus direct current. So you were talking about the flow of electrons earlier. In direct current, they're flowing one way all the time. They're only going in one direction. In alternating current, it kind of looks like a sine wave where it'll flow one way and then turn around and flow the other way and then the other way and then the other way. So that's alternating versus direct current. So Edison, he was a big DC guy. He wanted to keep AC from gaining popularity because he was already heavily invested financially in direct current technology. However, AC or alternating current was far superior. The biggest thing being transmission distance. So with direct current, you would have had to have a power station at least every mile. Whereas with alternating current, you can have one power station. And then with transmission wires, you can transmit that power hundreds Hundreds of miles. miles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like Edison was pushing DC, which would have been fine in New York, because everything's so dense. But in order to power the whole country, you were going to have to use AC. But Edison wanted to basically keep AC from seeing the light of day for as long as possible because money. the more people were using DC, the more money he made. We were talking about in the Edison episode where he would shock animals. When he would shock the animals, he would say they're getting Westinghoused. Oh, he yes. was trying to portray AC as, oh, even though it might, you know, it might look better, it might you know outperform DC, but it's way more dangerous. So like you don't want to have AC come into your home and then get shocked like this rabbit, do you? And then he would like shock a rabbit. Well, I saw he was even one of the early proponents of the electric chair. And was like, hey, yes. we can use the electric chair. And you know what we can kill people with? AC. It'll AC. Be great. Yeah. Yep. Right. AC power. Exactly. Yeah. So Tesla is running his Tesla electric company. He patents the Tesla coil in 1891 um, that he was going to try to use to transmit power wirelessly, um, which didn't ever mm. really come to fruition oh, so that's that's still not a thing really right other than like you had a little bit of like you can no, charge your be- cell phone in the air a little bit nowadays and that's 100 years later yeah well and you even that has to be you still has to be in contact right with the okay. charger but i actually 
I saw a uh, an episode of Joe Rogan where he was talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson, and Neil deGrasse Tyson was like, think about it. If you're trying to transmit power through the air from some sort of power generation device right. to a thing you want to power like a light bulb, and if you were to touch the electricity in that light bulb, it would kill you. That means anything in between that power generation and that light bulb, if you stand in between that and it's transmitting power wirelessly, that will also kill you. So do you really want that power, like, even if it were possible, would you want that just shooting through the air? Right. There's really no way to do it unless you're going to say it was, like, all spread out and then had a coalesce point. But, like, how would that work? Right. But, and this is something else that came up in that in that Rogan episode, but in the quest to find a way to transmit power wirelessly, what he actually found, or helped discover, there were other people working on the same thing at the same time, but what he actually found was ways to transmit information wirelessly which then becomes like that's what actually that's our cell phones transforms the world right so like in the 1890s tesla had like rc boats he had like remote control boats in in 1893 huh so like in his quest to find a way to transmit power wirelessly he ends up saying oh well even if i can't power a light bulb from across the street what i can do is control some sort of mechanism by using is this, is this radio waves radio waves okay yeah. this, so, right. so, he, so tesla discovered radio waves or like like practical uses for them he didn't discover it but he was yes he was he was finding he was at the beginning of pioneering it yeah yeah okay. because that's like we talked about electromagnetism the electromagnetic spectrum contains you know radio waves it also contains right. visible light uh all the way up through you know gamma rays x-rays right but huh. the radio waves are far lower in energy but you can transmit them over long distances. And if you're, you know, using an analog signal, now we have digital signals, um, you can transmit information wirelessly over long distances. Also during this time, this is just another little side note, Tesla actually became good friends with Mark Twain. I saw that. Yeah. He had read his uh, novels and stuff growing up. And it was basically like uh, Tesla used his celebrity and his, you know, connections living in New York, being this, like, you know, relatively famous inventor to meet Mark Twain. And they actually got along really well. And Mark Twain, I mean, there's photos of Mark Twain and Tesla, like, in his lab, hanging out, looking at Tesla's inventions. So I thought that was kind of cool. That And, you know, they were contemporaries and also knew each other. So in 1893, Tesla and Westinghouse demonstrated the superiority of AC to the world by building a giant AC power plant at Niagara Falls. And then they were able to transmit power using transmission lines to Buffalo, New York, and light the city of Buffalo with their AC generator. Also, the same year, 1893, was the Chicago World's Fair. And they also lit the Chicago World's Fair with AC power from their station in Buffalo. Oh, wow. And that's kind of then, that was kind of like the, that's the winning move right there, right? AC now wins. Exactly. That's the end of the current war. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was there was still there was still war after that, but that's kind of like the D Day of the current war. It's like, <laughs> that, like you're not yeah, you're yeah. not you're not winning after that. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, basically, eventually, AC, despite Edison's best efforts, was demonstrated to be just so much better than DC that there was just no more debate. And that's you know, if you plug your phone into the wall today, that's AC AC power. So he did experiment with electricity in low-pressure air in Colorado Springs in 1899. So when we see Tesla in the movie in Colorado Springs in 1899, that is historically accurate. He was there. Now, he wasn't building... Making a teleporter? <laughs> a teleporter or a, a perfect copy machine that could clone a man uh, oh, right. instantly. It wasn't a teleporter. It was a cloning machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. At least not that the government wants you to know about. Oh, man. That's why they didn't, <laughs> that's why they didn't get any Oscar nominations. They're trying to get this the <laughs> Yeah. They were trying to cover it up. But yeah, so he went there. And actually, here, I'm about to take another little side side quest here. So one of his main investors for this Colorado excursion was a guy named John Jacob Astor IV. That name sounds familiar. Okay, it should. So he was one of the richest people in the world at the time. In his earlier life, actually served as a staff officer for William Shafter in Cuba during the Spanish-American War. And this is a side note to the side note that William Shafter, his nickname was Pecos Bill. 
And the character, the tall tale character, Pecos Bill, the one that uses a rattlesnake to lasso the tornado. Yeah. Named after this guy. Huh. That's kind of funny. So this John Jacob Astor also built the Astoria Hotel in New York, merged it with his cousin's hotel, the Waldorf, to make the Waldorf, Waldorf Astoria. Astoria. So okay. the Astor in Astoria in Waldorf Astoria okay, is yeah. this guy. And then also, you might know him. I kind of buried the lead a little bit with this one, but you might know him from one of the most famous things that he did in his life, which was die on board the Titanic. He was the richest person on board the Titanic when it sunk and he died. Okay. No, what's funny is I was, I literally just pulled up uh, the unsinkable Molly Brown's page as you were talking. So something mm. you said, like, trigger, triggered that. Although she also has Colorado ties that I'll talk about later here. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, so, and actually, he his was, so of the 12 or however many hundred people that died on the Titanic, they only recovered, like, 300 bodies, and his was actually one of them. Hmm. So they did actually recover his body a couple days later. Is he in the film, Titanic? He is. I don't, I don't, I think it's like a, Cameo. like a person, it's like a side, way gotcha. side character. Okay. Um, I didn't recognize that, because I, when I was looking him up, it showed, like, all the portrayals of him in film. Yeah. And I didn't recognize the guy that they gotcha. said played him, so. Yeah. But anyway, so before he died on the Titanic, he gave a bunch of money to Tesla for him to experiment in Colorado Springs. So in Colorado Springs, he wanted to study conductivity of electricity in low-pressure air and also conductivity of the Earth itself. So while he was there, he built a giant Tesla coil and was doing all these experiments. He also claimed to receive signals from another planet during this time, although these were likely actually just signals that he was receiving, like, small energy readings from an Italian inventor named Marconi, who was experimenting with wireless communication at uh. the same time. It's July, or July of 1899. He was doing the same thing. So that's that's probably what tesla was receiving it's so cool that he was, he was getting these signals from italy i mean like <laughs> yeah exactly well and he was saying that he if his experiments went well enough that he was going to be able to transmit signals from pike's peak to paris which he wasn't able to do but you can do that today and th- right. the fact that at the time in this isn't even the 20th century yet he's saying right. oh yeah we could wirelessly communicate across vast distances using electrical waves basically so that's kind of that's kind of cool so that ended up uh falling through because he ran out of money and that's actually you know to avoid just going through every single invention that he or every single thing that he does to run out of money over and over again for his whole life that's basically the theme of the rest of his life where he's on the cutting edge of science in power generation Wireless communication, radio remote control, even things like x-rays he was experimenting with in the 1890s. But he always lacked the business acumen and the financial drive to try and profit from his work. Basically, he's like, I can't be bothered to try and make money. I'm trying to do inventions. Right. And so he ends up super in debt, destitute, and he dies in uh, 1943. He invented all the way... Hmm. I mean, into all the way to the end of his life, basically, he was he was working um, and inventing, and yeah, died in 1943 in in New York City. His ashes are in a gold sphere that is on display at the Nikola Tesla Museum in Belgrade, Serbia. Yeah, his legacy lives on today. Countless stories, both true and fictional, and books, comic books, TV shows, movies. The name of a famous car company. <laughs> I was going to say, as well as numerous companies. Of Obviously, the most famous one is the car company, Tesla. But there's numerous companies that have the name Tesla or Nikola or Nikola Tesla. And then, I mean, it's, there's literally an entire Wikipedia page of just things named after Nikola Tesla. And that's not even all the stories and stuff that are written about him either. And you don't have things named after Edison at the same clip. So it is kind of... In, a, in right. a weird way, it's like, did Tesla have the last laugh with AC winning and him being, well, Edison's still the most known person. Everyone knows Thomas Edison and Tesla's maybe slightly lesser known, but then Tesla has more stuff named after him, which is kind of a interesting dynamic. Right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, again, this is something else that Neil deGrasse Tyson brought up in that Rogan episode, but he said, you know, just because Edison is more recognized in pop culture doesn't mean that Tesla isn't wasn't recognized in the scientific community like there's 
in that right. list of things that are named after Tesla, there's like the Tesla valve, the Tesla coil. Like in the scientific community, he is just as well known as Edison. That makes sense. There's a little bit of uh, history is written by the winners thing, and Edison was actively writing and winning. Yeah, right. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on a long enough timeline, though, you get, right. I mean, nowadays, if you're asking a random person on the street, just name recognition, Tesla or Edison, like, the name recognition is going to be higher for Tesla. Now, it'll be because of the car company. Right. But, but that's, I mean, still, yeah. if you're, if that's your, you know, that's how you're continuing your, yeah. your legacy, like, that's kind of cool. I did do, I just thought a, a couple notes on Westinghouse himself. Okay. Very quickly, since he was the money behind Tesla and the spread of AC power. So in his teens, he was in the Civil War working on a gunboat. Uh, and then after the war, he actually got his first patents for a motor in at the age of 19 after the Civil War. So very much in the same ballpark as these guys. He was a little more commercially minded, though, more like Edison. So he was able to build, a, you know, that small fortune, build his company up. And so while Edison was focusing on, you know, telegraph machines and stuff in that category that we were talking about, Westinghouse was focused on motors and engines and things that the railroad needed as it was growing and expanding. And, and eventually, a lot of his inventions were, you know, brakes and things related to uh, the railroad. Oh, so, and then in, uh, it was 1885, he already had some investments in DC power when he reads in the paper about AC power over in Europe and kind of gets interested in that. Then, of course, like you're saying, tied in with uh, Tesla. And then he's actually, because he's a Civil War vet, uh, Westinghouse is buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Oh. So I wanted to go back and look at the history of Colorado briefly-ish here and kind of tie it into things that have come up thus far. And we haven't really talked about Colorado much. I think we mentioned that uh, in the assassination of uh, Jesse James that Robert Ford was killed in Colorado. But outside of that, oh, and I guess Dancing with Wolves is also set at in Colorado in kind of that fort there. Yeah. And Colorado is also famously at on the number one spot on Rich's <laughs> 50 states ranking list for states to visit. That's right. That's right. I, I've, I've been to all 50 states now, and I, and I did rank Colorado number one because people were asking me how you would rank them, and I went through and, and did that, and uh, it's, it's, on, it's, on, it's on the website, trackners.com. <laughs> and, and, of course, I was also born, I was born in Colorado, so that'll come up in the timeline here later, too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, but we haven't really done a deep dive on Colorado itself, talking about Colorado other than the kind of things happening in Colorado, which I guess that's all history is, is things that happen in places. But um, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it is kind of different. So we've, we've talked about as, as everything we've talked about thus far on the timeline with the spread of the United States. And we're getting, you know, we're, we're past the we're past Civil War now. We're into the late 1800s. And but California was kind of that outlier. They kind of happened sooner. So you kind of have this middle area in between where you're west of the Louisiana Purchase. But you're also not California. They kind of had this earlier uh, draw uh, out there. Right. Yeah. So Colorado is obviously full of Native Americans. And jumping forward a little bit, even when you get to like the Civil War, yes, Colorado was a free territory. But Colorado was too busy fighting natives to worry about fighting in the Civil War. So a lot of the Indian right. wars in Colorado were during the Civil War. And just, yeah, they just weren't involved with the Civil War because they were dealing with natives in this kind of newish territory. So it's called Colorado because the first Europeans there were the Spanish and they had these red rivers in Colorado because of how it picks up the sediment or whatever from from the ground. And so it gives the rivers this reddish hue. So when they saw the Colorado River, it was basically like, oh, it's colored red, color rojo, colorado. It gets all kind of basically Spanish for red colored. Yeah. So when, well, okay, I guess I'm kind of confused. Colorado is kind of this, I forget the exact borders of the Louisiana Purchase. And actually, part of it actually, I think, does go into Colorado. When the U.S. got the Louisiana Purchase from France, basically it ended up being kind of a disputed area. So we're like, oh, sweet, we got this area in what is now Colorado. And the Spanish were like, yeah, that's ours still. It wasn't the French's to sell you. And like, so there's a little bit of a disputed area in Colorado. And so the U.S. sends a guy on a kind of a recon mission to figure out what's going on with the Spanish there. What can we kind of do to help establish control in this area? That guy is Zebulon Pike. Mm, okay. So he's sent out in uh, 1806. Cool name. <laughs> right? <laughs> name, a, name another Zebulon. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> I mean, Pike's a cool last name too, but Zebulon. Uh, yeah, anyway. 
So he actually, he tried and failed with his group of guys. They tried to climb what is now Pikes Peak. They actually didn't make it. Uh, it was just kind of too <laughs> snowy at the time. But uh, yeah, so the mountain did get his name. And then the Spanish, they actually, I think they kind of crossed over across the river they shouldn't have. And they're captured by the Spanish and held captive for about six months. And then, you know, around 1807. Uh, and then when they were released, kind of the Spanish were like, okay, you can go back as long as you go back to your your area. And we never really resolved this dispute with Spain over Colorado because Mexico kind of took care of that for us when they declared their independence and Spain kind of ends up kind of out of the picture. And then we end up gaining Colorado over the next couple of decades through just both treaties with and wars against Mexico. We have mentioned before the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo in the late 1840s after we win the Mexican-American War. That's when we get that massive chunk of the western United States. There's basically everything west of the uh, Louisiana Purchase except for the Pacific Northwest and that little sliver of the Gazan Purchase. All of that was from the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. So a lot of Colorado if it wasn't already with the Louisiana Purchase. So then this newly U.S.-owned Colorado gets its own gold rush in the uh, 1850s, about the same time as California. And the biggest boom area, to bring it back to this movie, is the Pikes Peak area. So the biggest gold boom for Colorado was around Pikes Peak, which leads to the founding of Colorado Springs. We see in the movie in 1859, uh, a large part of Colorado was actually in what was then the Kansas Territory. So two years after Colorado Springs, you get Kansas becoming a state, which we talked about in 1861, beginning of the Civil War. All the southern states start to secede. Colorado is admitted to the Union as a free territory in 1861, as it's kind of split off from Kansas. The South can't complain because they basically said they aren't part of the country. So it's no problem getting a new free territory passed uh, into, into law here. And I mentioned the fighting during the Civil War was more against the Native Americans. One I'd heard of, you have the Sand Creek Massacre in 1864. Long story short, U.S. commander in the area claimed he attacked and killed about 500 Indian warriors. But it is believed that, one, it was probably closer to 150 people that he killed, not 500 people. And two, it was mostly women and children, not warriors, as he claimed. There was a lot of that going around. A lot of that going around. Um, (laughs) So then the next decade is they're kind of... Again, it is just kind of the whites clearing out the Native Americans so for white settlement, which, again, was kind of the nickname of the 19th century. Um, in 1876, Colorado is finally uh, admitted as a state, which is why it has its nickname of the Centennial State. 100 years after the U.S., mm. you get Colorado as a state, hence the Centennial State. And then as we close the 19th century, which is where we see it in the film, uh, Colorado is a major mining hub, uh, not just gold, but also silver, silver and coal. And then that was the reason I was looking up the unsakeable Molly Brown, who was on the Titanic. Her husband, like the reason she had so much money was on the Titanic was because of Colorado mining. That's where right. her fortune was made with her husband, right. which we talked about way back on our Titanic episode. Well, that's that's why in the movie she's like new money because she was like she didn't have the old yes, family money right. from Europe. Right. She had the new mining money, so she was just as rich as them, but she hadn't been rich for her whole life. Uh, so that's why right. they still kind of look down on her, but yeah. Right. And then, so the Pikes Peak area, you know, right around Colorado Springs here, because I mean, it's like from Colorado Springs, you like, you're basically at the foothills of Pikes Peak, you're looking at Pikes Peak. Uh, when I went and ran the Pikes Peak Ascent Half Marathon race, I stayed in Colorado Springs the night before. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. So it was actually one of the most popular tourist destinations in the U.S. at the time. So people were coming from all over, not just the U.S., but the world to Colorado Springs at the time Tesla uh, would have been there lighting it. Huh. Lots of writers and artists from uh, England moved to the area. It was actually considered a really good place to move to if you suffered from tuberculosis. Yeah. So a lot of people moved there for that. Like you said, Tesla did have a power station there. And this is another thing that is kind of in the film. So uh, what I read was in uh, 1904, he was sued for unpaid bills in Colorado Springs and the lab was torn down and auctioned off. Which we do see that auctioning off at the end of, of the film where they're kind of having the debates over the machines and hiding the stuff it's like okay they can sell all this stuff off but can we make sure we get this one little thing that's all in the film the prestige that's technically a little bit of uh also kind of based on what actually was going on there okay i just had a couple other things to mention then before we get into our christopher nolan here uh breakdown here yeah i was just kind of curious because the whole idea in the film is that these guys are stage performers and that yes they are illusionists or magicians or whatever you want to call it and 
I was just kind of curious what else was going on at the time on stage that would have been like stage draws for public entertainment. Because obviously we're still pre-cinema, mm. which ties into Edison and all that kind of stuff. In the early early 20th century, we'll get into the beginnings of film and radio, yeah. which you talked about with Tesla there. So this uh, the 1890s would have been kind of the waning era of uh, Gilbert and Sullivan. They're the Pirates of Penzance guys. They were mm-hmm. biggest in the 1870s and 1880s. But their stuff is obviously still being performed in the 1890s. And they'd even had a few operas still coming out in the 1890s. You mentioned Mark Twain was uh, big and kind of doing some of his lecture tours. Mark Twain actually spent most of the 1890s in Europe, kind of going around doing talks and things. Oscar Wilde, the 1890s was the final decade of his life. So like the picture of Dorian Gray was published in 1890. The Importance of Being Earnest, 1895, two big Oscar Wilde works. Uh, and the other name that I recognized was uh, George Bernard Shaw. He was working in the 1890s as well. His most famous work, Pygmalion, was 1913, but he was kind of getting his start in the 1890s. So some of his early plays and stuff could have been, in theory, on the stage opposite some of these magicians that we're seeing in the film. Just kind of a oh, yeah. Con- yeah. context thing there. And then our presidential update here. We've, we've kind of trying to make a point to at least mention every uh, yes. president as they get to our, our timeline here. We're now in the 1890s. The last election we had talked about was the election of 1892. Uh, in 1896, you don't have any incumbents running. So this is where uh, McKinley uh, gets elected in 1896. He was the governor of Ohio. In that 1896 election, we actually probably did mention it back in the other series on world history when we talked about the Scopes Monkey Trial, where William Jennings Bryan was, came in as a lawyer. Well, William right. Jennings Bryan was the guy who lost the presidency to McKinley in 1896. Right. We talked about Jennings Bryan being so young. He was just 36 when he lost the election to uh, McKinley in 1896. And then McKinley was reelected in 1900, just a year ahead of our timeline here. You could actually argue the movie goes into the early 1900s. And then McKinley was assassinated in 1901, which puts Teddy Roosevelt in office. So we have now mentioned every president up through Teddy Roosevelt taking over in 1901 as a VP when his... uh, sitting president gets assassinated okay anything else history related before we can have a little christopher nolan fun here uh no but once again everybody go watch uh prestige yes highly recommend okay and actually though this was not our intent when we first recorded that we are starting a patreon and the discussion of christopher nolan's movies ranked are going to be over there but just so we don't feel like we teased you too much they will not be behind the paywall, that recording. So if you want to go listen to us talk about Christopher Nolan's films and how we rank them all, that is over on our Patreon for free. We're just trying to start getting getting you over there to help pay some of the bills around here. As, shoot, this is now six years we've been doing this podcast and the first time we're kind of reaching out to help pay for hosting fees and things like that. So go check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash history and film and thanks for listening as always <laughs>